This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment. But we begin tonight with breaking details about an arrest in connection with an historical sexual assault. A 46-year-old Prince George man is now facing charges. And Vancouver police believe there are more victims and possibly witnesses. And they're asking them to come forward. Kristen Robinson joins us now with more on what police are saying about the man arrested. Kristen. Chris, the suspect, a trucker who drives all over B.C. and Alberta, was arrested in Chilliwack on Monday. Kevin Alexander Roberts is accused of sexually assaulting a young girl between January 2002 and December of 2008 in Prince George and Vancouver. The now adult victim reported the alleged crimes to Vancouver police and investigators believe there may be more potential victims who would have been between 4 and 18 years old at the time. Roberts, who's also worked as a mover and a school bus driver in Prince George, is now charged with six offenses, including sex assault with a weapon and assault causing bodily harm. At this point, they're all tied to one victim, and I do have to point out there is a publication ban uh, related to this. Uh, so I don't want to get into too many details that may potentially or has the potential to identify a victim. And we don't want to narrow this down uh, to a specific time frame. Um, you know, we're looking back at anywhere upwards of, of 20 plus years to right into more recent as of today. Now Roberts is due in court next Monday in Vancouver for a bail hearing. Chris. Robinson in Vancouver, thank you. Now, new information tonight about the RCMP investigation involving two key officials at the B.C. Legislature. The Clerk of the House, Craig James, and Sergeant-at-Arms, Gary Lenz, escorted out of the ledge in dramatic fashion yesterday. Tonight, what our Keith Baldry is learning about how far back this investigation may go. Make way for Mr. Speaker! The Speaker's procession opening the House sitting today looked a little different. Missing from this group are the longtime Sergeant-at-Arms and the Chief Clerk, who were both put on administrative leave yesterday. That would be this man, Chief Clerk Craig James and Gary Lenz, the Sergeant-at-Arms. Both were escorted from the Legislature building yesterday. And today, questions were still being asked, but with few answers forthcoming. What would you say to the public who think it's really weird that this is all going on and we have absolutely no details? Look, there's an ongoing investigation, and I'm not able to, to comment. I but know is that enough I, for the I, public? I, I know that's frustrating, but uh, that's the fact, that there's an ongoing uh, investigation, and I have been advised uh, that I am not able to comment on that. But while politicians may be getting a bit frustrated with the lack of details, a new face on the scene was supplying some fresh ones. I was brought in for, for a number of different reasons but in January. Were there back in January? 
Uh, there, there, was, there was just regular concerns about a lot of different things. Mullen, the Speaker's relatively new political aide, began his investigation back in January, but he waited until the summer before turning anything over to the RCMP. As the months went on, we gathered more information, um, and, and that just got passed off. And that's where it's at now. We're at, we're at the point now where we're just giving it over to the RCMP. Speaker Daryl Plekas wasn't talking today, and it's unclear whether he ever will. In the meantime, an old acquaintance of his back home in Abbotsford has suddenly become the spokesman of the mystery case that has clearly shook up the B.C. legislature. Uh, I have been involved in uh, numerous investigations. Uh, I was a correctional manager at Kent Institution uh, for over 10 years. Um, but yes, I've conducted many investigations. Keith Bald rejoins us now uh, live in Victoria with more. It seems like the mystery is only deepening, Keith. How <laughs> unusual is it that the speaker would be conducting this kind of investigation? Well, this sort of fits the pattern of everything being unprecedented and unusual. No, we've never heard of a speaker's office doing this, and we've never heard, we've never had a situation where the speaker has gone out and hired a special political aide to conduct an investigation such as this and to actually keep it secret for months and months. So I was talking to other MLAs today who were flabbergasted to learn that this thing's been going on uh, since January and only first learned of it just a couple of days ago. So the mystery has yet to be solved. We still don't know exactly what the allegations are, but it continues to get more and more unusual as each day unfolds quite something and quite troubling hopefully we'll get some more details uh, soon thank you keith well the mystery around the rcmp investigation itself triggering some backlash by watchdog groups who say the public has a right to know what's going on as ted chernecki reports with few details being released there are concerns about the impact it could have on public trust so many questions but the speaker isn't speaking Daryl Plekis is tight-lipped about an ongoing criminal investigation. Everyone must have known that having Gary Lenz, the sergeant-at-arms, and Craig James, the clerk of the legislature, escorted by police out of the building was going to get everybody's attention. I think that the two individuals concerned have been treated unfairly, uh, and certainly if you were under investigation and you were holding any other position in society, you would not have seen what happened yesterday. This dearth of information in the view of a former Attorney General is strategic and has as much to do with the investigated as the investigators. You have to be careful as to the amount of information that you release to the public in fairness to those people who are being investigated. The current AG is among the many being asked to at least announce the basics of what this is all about. Can you let us know when you were made aware of these allegations against uh, Craig James and Gary Lenz? Yeah, unfortunately I can't comment. This is a public body, a public system, a political system that we're talking about here in British Columbia that the constituents have a right to know what is going on. Eight years ago, ministerial assistants David Bazzi and Bob Virk pleaded guilty to accepting benefits in exchange for confidential information about the bidding process in the sale of BC Rail to CN. They served two years less a day in house arrest. Cost of the seven-year trial to the taxpayer? Six million dollars. So you're going to hear comments, Ted, where in fact they'll say, look, there's an investigation going on, we can't comment. You know what? This matters before the courts, so we can't comment. It's going to be years before we actually find out the facts. Meanwhile, a fragile minority government works within an institution that has a cloud of uncertainty hanging over it. Ted Chernecki, Global News. 
Vancouver police are investigating a serious assault in the city's West End this morning. Officers are looking for video surveillance near Davy and Burrard, where a 36-year-old Vancouver man was attacked at around 3 a.m. He was taken to hospital and is being treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Anyone who may have witnessed the attack is asked to call the Vancouver police. Tonight, for the first time, we are hearing from the family of an Ontario teenager who was allegedly sexually assaulted in Cuba. Two Metro Vancouver police officers charged in connection with the incident were recently acquitted, but remain in legal limbo in the country as an appeal is now underway. Now the teen's family is speaking exclusively to our Sarah McDonald about what they want the public to know. Until now, details surrounding the ongoing saga of two Metro Vancouver police officers detained in Cuba have been scarce and largely one-sided. As prosecutors appeal the unanimous acquittal of constables Mark Sims and Jordan Long on sex assault charges, Global News is now hearing from the family of their teenaged accuser. The Ontario teen's parents, who we won't identify, describe a traumatic ordeal on a high school graduation trip last March, organized through a third-party company, alleging their daughter was sexually assaulted by one of the officers with the other nearby. Her family is disputing the version of events put forward by supporters of the accused in multiple written statements and off-camera interviews, saying they are coming forward now because we have not made any statements and are being condemned by others for that. The accuser's parents provided documentation showing they traveled to Cuba hours after the alleged incident, saying their daughter reported the alleged assault to hotel security and was hospitalized for testing. She filed a police report before leaving the country, and she was told that would be sufficient. The trial was quick and no further input was asked from us, her parents said of the process, only the accuser's statements and DNA evidence. Of their daughter, they say she is kind, hardworking, and compassionate. She had aspirations of becoming a police officer. Those dreams have since changed. A friend of the family is also speaking out defending the accuser's character, saying of the now 18-year-old, I know this young lady. She is athletic, responsible, and shy. She is not a heavy drinker or drug user. Be wary if you're a Canadian and going into a communist country or other country with a non-Western legal system. You're taking a risk. With three families now fractured, there is no telling when this case could see closure. Supporters of the accused declining comment Wednesday as those standing behind their accuser work towards a conviction on Cuban or Canadian soil, saying we pray that justice will be served. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A court appearance today for a man accused of a meltdown at a new Westminster Tim Hortons that was all caught on camera. Alan de Guillaume was arrested in Powell River last month. Surveillance video shows him yelling at staff, dumping out an iced cappuccino, and knocking a cash register off the counter. De Guillaume is facing two charges of assault and one charge of mischief, and spoke to Global News about his actions today. Watching that video was pretty appalling to see myself behave in that way, and um, I'm not allowed to make any direct apologies or anything to anyone indirect or direct I'm not allowed to contact anyone so I can't really apologize right um, I do feel ashamed of myself and just something I have to deal with De Guillaume says he doesn't even remember the incident he's now obtaining a lawyer and hoping to put this behind him as quickly as possible 
Four desperately needed new schools in Surrey, plus an addition, are not going to be built as soon as parents had hoped. Construction has been delayed after the bids to build them came back over budget. Grace Key has more on what's behind the higher costs and how it could impact the province's initiative to get students out of portables. The Surrey School District is working to keep four new schools in one edition on track of its project time frame. Skyrocketing construction costs means tenders came back over the original amounts, so the district had to go back to the province with a revised budget. This time the market had changed such that it was beyond even the contingencies that were built in. Now, it's rare for this to happen. It's happened before, but it was on the positive side in that the uh, budgets came in significantly lower. But one parent and former school trustee candidate says the process needs to be expedited. From that approval process point to the point of construction is taking too long. From what I understand, the district is trying to work with the city in permitting and permitting is slowing them down. The 300-seat addition at Pacific Heights Elementary and Mad Daw Road Elementary have gone back to tender and set to close next month. The other projects have revised budgets and still need approval from the Minister of Education. We're, we're back on track. The money is there. Any potential delay will be offset by a reduction in permitting time. So the partnership we have with City Hall is working very well. They're getting permits uh, issued much quicker. So. We're still on track to accelerate uh, school building in Surrey. The ministry also just announced a plan to move more than 7,000 Surrey students from portables to classrooms in the next three years, with the government and district accelerating construction. We'll be working with our partners, whether it's the ministry, uh, contractors, the city, all those affected to make this work as best we can. Despite about a thousand new students arriving every year at Surrey, only one new school is open since 2014. The NDP is promising changes. In the last year, more than $166 million in funding has been approved for projects that include two new elementary schools, four additions, and a site purchase. Grace Key, Global News. Yikes. Right now, though, the North Vancouver property owner who has repeatedly thumbed her nose at the justice system by illegally using her townhouse as a hostel is apparently now selling the unit. But as John Waugh reports, given her history, some neighbors are wondering if they've really seen the last of Emily Yu. There have been plenty of online listings for the Oasis House Hostel. This is just the last one neighbors expected to see. First, when I saw the posting, I was actually quite excited, and then I looked at the price. The notorious townhouse turned 14 bed hostel is now up for sale. Listed at $1.1 million, neighbors say they have their doubts. $1.1 million of going for that house? I don't know. It's about 30% over the prices that's going around here right now. Seems more like a bit of a show versus actually commitment to sell. Owner Emily Yu has been embroiled in a long legal battle with both her strata and the city of Vancouver. Most recently she was found in contempt for defying a BC Supreme Court order banning short-term rentals and is still awaiting sentencing. I don't know if she's using this as a you know like a stall tactic going back to court saying that oh you know I am selling my house I'm gonna do it. Emily Yu could not be reached for comment so Global News called the listing agent instead. Hello. Hello is this Elvis Singh? Who are you? We identified ourselves and simply asked about pictures in an open house. Only then we were told we weren't talking to Elvis Ng. I don't, I don't, I'm the assistant of Elvis. Okay, I need Elvis to call you back if possible. That phone call never came. The lack of information only fueling people's skepticism over a potential sale. When someone goes to sell, we would expect to see for sale signs. We would expect to see, um, you know, pictures up on the website. 
If Yu is able to sell her home, the Strata is likely owed tens of thousands in legal fees and fines. Neighbors say looking back at their history with the Oasis House hostel, they're not holding on to hope. John Hua, Global News. Well, the city of Vancouver is hoping to avoid the problems of 2016 in dealing with the coming winter snowfall. Whoa! Remember that scene well. That was the year we saw near riots over free salt, and the city was criticized for a lack of snow clearing. And while last winter had more normal snowfall amounts, uh, the city says it's hoping for the best but preparing for the worst. That includes about a dozen new additions to its snow clearing fleet. At this point, we're monitoring the weather 24 hours a day, and we definitely rely on the forecast to prepare us, but at the same time, we're also prepared for the weather to change like that. The city also says it'll have much more salt on hand, even more than it would have needed two years ago when Vancouverites lined up for it. A B.C. couple's battle to win custody of their grandchildren has taken them to Peru, where the children's father has been charged with killing their mother. Global Rumina Dea traveled to Peru, and in tonight's second installment of our exclusive reports, she tries to get answers from the family of the accused killer. Senora Betoki? We wanted to confirm for ourselves that the children are safe. Me llamo Rumina Dea. Soy reportera de Canada. Global News tracked down the kids in Lima, a city of 10 million people. They are with Monica Betaki, the mother of the accused killer. I have a letter from your son saying he's innocent. I just want to hear your side. Access denied for us, but after five anxious months of no contact, the children's grandfather from BC allowed in. Were they happy to see you? They were. They, I, it's, it's wonderful when they just go, abuelo, when they come running and it's a hug and that sort of thing. So it was, that was very enjoyable. The concern for the children's safety, urgent, because their mother, Al Kasatkin's daughter, Kimberly, is believed to be dead. Her partner, Christopher Franz Betalki, is accused of killing her, his whereabouts unknown. We can't leave the children Al permitted to take a few pictures, but the visit with his grandkids came at a cost. Al says Senora Bitaki banned his wife from visiting. This has just escalated everything, and uh, be prepared for a battle. This is from um, the local school that our granddaughter in Canada goes to. Luz Elena Garcia is helping the Kasatkins in the custody case. They believe the children's future is in B.C. La situación que existe en el Perú. The Peruvian situation and the knowledge of this case, I think that the better environment will be in Canada. They will have better education, peace, and also their family with them. The kids are attending this private school, the director refusing to meet with us. It's a very important case. We've come all the way from Canada. A parent tells Global News the children, five and eight, are struggling, especially the older one. Violent outbursts, a concern. He was recently approached by a student who made shocking comments. After four months of hearing evidence, the court has made a decision. The custody trial will proceed. What is the chance that those children will end up in Canada? I believe that in 80%, the kids will travel to Canada to live. A date for the custody trial still pending. Family in B.C. eagerly awaiting the outcome, including the children's half-brother and sister and many cousins. I think it's best 
take them to Canada. We're offering visitation to the grandparents. Let them come to Canada and visit them. Al and Kathy's resolve fortified, no matter how long it takes. They've already lost their daughter. They're determined not to lose their grandchildren, too. Romina Dea, Global News, Lima, Peru. And tomorrow on the News Hour, Romina will have more on the charge that Christopher Patoki is facing femicide, the killing of a woman under Peruvian law. That, of course, is tomorrow on the News Hour. Right now, a Washington state man will not face the death penalty if he's convicted of the murders of a young B.C. couple back in the 1980s. William Earl Talbot of Seattle was arrested in May and charged with killing 18-year-old Tanya Van Kylenborg and 20-year-old Jay Cook. The Saanich couple disappeared in 1987 after taking a ferry to the U.S. Their bodies were discovered several days later. Earlier this year, links provided by genealogical DNA led to Talbot's arrest. Last month, the Washington State Supreme Court declared the death penalty unconstitutional, so prosecutors in Talbot's case won't push for it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Well, the tunnel's always trouble, but take a look at this Thanksgiving tradition in Los Angeles. Americans making their way to their holiday destinations, as many as five lanes in both directions, bumper to bumper. It's expected that a record 55 million Americans, nearly 20 million more than the population of Canada, will travel 80 kilometers or more this weekend. You need patience for that. Mm -hmm. With criticism growing over Donald Trump's refusal to further penalize Saudi Arabia for the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, he's going one step further. Trump today praising the controversial kingdom for giving the world a break on oil prices. Tonight, despite mounting pressure to punish Saudi Arabia, President Trump is ramping up his support for the kingdom, tweeting oil prices getting lower. Great, like a big tax cut for America and the world. Enjoy. Thank you to Saudi Arabia. But economists point out Saudi Arabia isn't solely responsible for lowering oil prices. Still, it comes after the president broke with the CIA assessment that the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, directly ordered the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. The CIA has looked at it, they've studied it a lot, they have nothing definitive. And the fact is, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And Defense Secretary James Mattis now says he does not think the CIA or Saudi government have fully established who is responsible, adding presidents don't always get to work with unblemished partners. But tonight, a sharp backlash. I am astounded at the type of response that was put out uh, by the White House. But we have a, a crown prince that I believe directed the killing of a journalist. That is a huge blow uh, to our intelligence community, which at the end of the day is, is what keeps us safe. The Saudi government remains defiant. We have made it very clear that Saudi Arabia's government is not involved in this. The Crown Prince is not involved in this at all. Caught on cell phone video, residents of a Dallas apartment building jumping from their burning homes. <laughs> 
The fire broke out early this morning, trapping some people on the third floor. Quick-thinking neighbors grabbed a mattress and urged residents to jump. One woman making the agonizing decision to drop her baby to rescuers before jumping herself. Six people were injured, but no one was killed. The death toll from the campfire in Northern California has reached 84, with more than 800 people still missing. For many fire crews, the focus has now changed from fire prevention to slide prevention. Crews are shoring up burned hillsides in the decimated community of Paradise. The soil has been baked by extreme heat, and they're worried it won't be able to absorb the coming rain. Crews searching the charred rubble are also worried the rain will literally wash away any human remains, many of which are no more than bone fragments. Former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger visited firefighters today to pass along his thanks for the work they've done to save people and homes. In Health Matters tonight, should you eat romaine lettuce or not? It has been pulled from all shelves across the U.S. and in Quebec and Ontario because of cases of E. coli poisoning. Even local chains are pulling it, even though the recall doesn't cover B.C. or the rest of Canada. Linda Aylesworth reports on whether you should really be concerned. This is what E. coli bacteria looks like under a microscope. And this is what it looks like tucked away on a leaf of lettuce. It's tiny in size, but mean in a big way, especially the 0157 strain. This E. coli can cause quite severe illness in and of itself. It can cause severe abdominal cramps, uh, a lot of diarrhea, and particularly bloody diarrhea. It can even go on to cause kidney failure. And right now it's making the rounds in Ontario and Quebec in romaine lettuce. The bad news, 18 have become ill so far on the East Coast. The good news... Well, currently in British Columbia, there have been no residents who have become ill by E. coli that's associated with the outbreak that's occurring in eastern Canada and the U.S. In the U.S., 32 have fallen ill, 13 serious enough to be hospitalized. In Canada, Quebec and Ontario residents are being advised not to consume romaine lettuce. And while only those provinces are affected, numerous grocery store chains across the country are pulling the product from their shelves as a precaution. Thing is, we're no strangers to E. coli infections. Every week, two or three British Columbians are diagnosed with a severe form of E. coli infection. And this can be from a variety of different uh, causes and sources. But having so many ill from the same source makes this an outbreak. And while those on the West Coast are not under a health advisory to avoid romaine, it's always a good idea to take precautions when eating raw produce. If you can peel it, do so. In the case of lettuce, it is important to wash it under running water to remove the gross contamination that we sometimes see in particularly in produce that is field grown. Washing doesn't eliminate the risk, but it can reduce it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Now we want to do a quick shout out to a young man who's had more than his fair share of health challenges. You might remember Casey Wright from our Variety and Miracle Weekend telethons. All right, here's Casey with a message before he went in today for his 14th brain surgery. Good morning, everyone. We're at VGH Hospital and uh, it's almost check-in time. And thank you again for all the love and support. See you on the other side. You better believe it. This is Casey after a four-hour surgery. 
to repair a brain aneurysm. In true Casey fashion, he says it was, quote, a walk in the park. Of course he did. Tough little kid. His spirits are good, and he's looking forward to recovering in time for Christmas and then going on to graduate from Thomas Haney Secondary in Maple Ridge this year. Get better soon, Casey. We're thinking of you. Graduating already? Graduating already. Oh. Thanks to Larry, Growing Dad, up. for sending all that stuff in. The African nation of Kenya is sounding an alarm, declaring its giraffes a critically endangered species. The country says it's lost no less than 40% of its giraffe population in just the last three decades. Its new recovery plan will tackle the main reasons for the population decline, habitat loss, poaching, and disease. Well, Disney on Ice's Dare to Dream Tour is in town tonight. And our very own Christy Gordon is emceeing the kickoff at the Pacific Coliseum tonight. Probably not strapping on the old skates, I would imagine, but having fun nonetheless, Christy. <laughs> oh, yes. No, not loud on the, uh, on the rink, Chris, but soon they will be filled with skaters, all of your favorite Disney characters. The theme here tonight is finding your inner hero. So we're going to have the heroes from all of the Disney uh, movies, even some of the traditional ones, Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, and of course some of the favorites like Elsa as well. This is on right through until Sunday. Uh, show starts at 7. There's matinee shows over the weekend, and I'll tell you, it's just, the place is just starting to fill up, but everyone is dressed up like their favorite character, and I've got two little cuties here. This is Abby and Kennedy. Girls, how excited are you about the show tonight? Really excited. And really excited. Oh, I'm so glad. I love to see you dress up so nicely. Who's your favorite hero, Disney hero? Elsa. Elsa. You look very cute as Elsa. And who's your favorite character? Aurora. Aurora. And who, what movie is that from? Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. But I see you're dressed up as Moana, are you? Yes. Yeah. Now, how many characters do you think you're going to see tonight? A lot of them? Five. Five? You, seven. Seven? And are you going to sing to all the music? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So you can get tickets at uh, DisneyOnNice.com. These girls are all set to go again. Run through until Sunday. Should be an exciting night. And uh, I'm going to sing along, that's for sure, you guys. <laughs> I know you will. Abby Thanks, and Kennedy could not be cuter. <laughs> Thanks very much, Christy. Great costumes. Mm -hmm. All right, an unusual paint job in New York City. How the final result made for an interesting commute right after the forecast. See just about anything on the New York subway. Okay, we'll check in with Yvonne Shell, who is in here while Christy's out there. A little drizzly today, Yvonne. Yes, and it's a wet one. Good thing Christy's indoors uh, for the Disney on Ice this evening. Uh, we've got a swath of moisture that's still working its way in across Metro Vancouver. It'll continue for this evening and overnight. Uh, what we are looking at right now to the airport, 9 degrees with an easterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. Similar weather picture for tomorrow. The rain will ramp up for the afternoon. Highs of up to 10. Today we were briefly at 11 degrees, but the winds will be a big weather story for tomorrow, and I'll show you which areas have a wind warning in just a moment. Now, we are going to see snowfall for the higher elevations along the mountain passes overnight for the morning hours, and then the next round of moisture pushes in by the afternoon. It'll be a chance of showers throughout the morning commute and heavier towards the evening and late in the day for tomorrow. The snow will push in with another round by the evening hours for the interior. The Sea of Sky near Whistler 2 and up to 4 centimeters. The Kootenai passing higher amounts of 10 and 15. And the Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt between 5 and up to 10 centimeters.
centimeters. Northern and western sections of the island, a wind warning is in effect early Thursday morning. Southeasterly winds of up to 90 kilometers per hour. Metro Vancouver will see the winds tomorrow at 30, but areas near the water could get up to 60 kilometers per hour. Along the north coast, we're at eight inland sections at three for Smithers. The piece underneath the partly cloudy sky will see a dry day tomorrow, and the central interior will be back into a mix of sun and cloud. Along the Columbia and Kootenai, southeastern corners of the province, a few flurries for the morning hours, changing over to showers. The snow level is going to be sitting closer excuse me, to 1,000 metres tomorrow. So we are looking at snowfall once again by the evening. South coast tomorrow, so morning we will see a chance of showers and heavier rain towards the evening and very windy conditions will be along the northern and western sections of the island. Victoria with the rainfall tomorrow, though still getting into the double digits with 10. Metro Vancouver, pretty soggy five-day forecast, 20 and up to 35 millimetres. For tomorrow, the winds near the water will be up to 50 kilometres per hour and unsettled for Saturday, Sunday, but if you're making plans, Sunday looks to be the nicer out of the weekend. We'll end off with a great shot. This was taken a couple of days ago in West Bank. Guys, a sunrise. Very nice. Thanks. Yeah, beautiful shot. Well, subway riders in New York, I'm sure you've done it many times, Mm -hmm. as have I, are used to seeing some pretty strange things. So almost no one was phased by this piece of public art. A nearly nude man. Nothing unusual there, but this guy's painted to blend in with the inside of one of the trains, complete with part of a subway map painted on his face. Artist Corey Moore spent four hours on the project, teaming up with the popular Instagram account Subway Creatures for the living art piece. Moore says the best compliment was when someone almost sat on his artwork. And apparently is napping on his shoulder, it looks like. Well, home cooking didn't last too long for the... uh, Canucks did it. Well, it Back seems like the they're road? always on the road, but there's mm-hmm. going to be a big stretch of home games coming up. Uh, anyway, uh, there was a time not very long ago when a road trip to California was no Disneyland for the Vancouver Canucks. But tonight's game in Anaheim has the potential to be the happiest place on earth for the Canucks, despite six straight losses. That's because, like Vancouver, the Anaheim Ducks are also suffering with too many injuries, and they have lost three in a row. But I have to say this, if the Ducks win this game in regulation, they would pass Vancouver for third in the Pacific. Good news for the Canucks, we mentioned injuries. Goaltender Anders Nilsson is back, he's healthy again, and he will be the backup for Jacob Markstrom tonight. All right, Alfonso Davies in Munich, and today he was on the field with his new teammates who are some of the best-known players in the world. He will train with Bayern Munich all through December, and he will be eligible to play for them starting January 4th. Now today... Byron Munich TV did a little special on Davy's arrival, and here's part of it. Alfonso Davis ist da, ähm, wird äh, hier Zeit haben, ähm, in der Mannschaft, in der Stadt anzukommen. This is, you know, something as a kid you dream about, you know, being being part of. And now that I'm part of it, I'm super excited. Ian Robin was in there, yeah. <laughs> walking with Alfonso Davies. That's cool. Uh, the Grey Cup, of course, is Sunday in Edmonton. And when it comes to the Grey Cup, quarterback... 
Calgary, or Calgary's quarterback, I should say, Bo Levi Mitchell, is certainly the better known of the two, although he didn't win the last couple of years. Calgary blew it both times. I wonder how they're going to blow it this year. Anyway, Trevor Harris is starting for Ottawa. He was actually Henry Burris' backup when the Red Blacks upset the Stampeders in the 2016 Grey Cup. This time he's the starter, and even though he's not at Mitchell's level of name recognition. In his last seven games, he has 17 touchdown passes and just two interceptions. It's exciting. Uh, you know, it's the, when you're in your backyard, when you're a little kid, you don't say, hey, we're down five late in the exhibition game. You know, you're, you're in the big game. So uh, you put yourself in those situations, and when you kind of find yourself in that spot, it's, uh, it's surreal, um, but it's really exciting. But, you know, when it comes down to it during the game outside of the media, and when you kind of narrow your focus in, it's still football. Seattle Seahawks will face Carolina this Sunday. And while Seattle's offense this year is led by their running game, the Panthers are not the best at stopping the pass. So you might see more of the Seahawks receivers than usual this season. That will mean more of Tyler Lockett, who's having the best year of his career so far. <laughs> One thing about Tyler Lockett, he's becoming a guy who doesn't just catch a ball, he goes and gets it, no matter how well he's covered which is something he started practicing in college. I pick up somebody on defense and kind of had them try to literally let me drop the ball, uh, hold me, grab me, push me, punch me, like whatever the case was. He was a decent receiver in his first three seasons, but not like he was in college. But this year, Lockett's rediscovered his younger self, and he's now averaging a touchdown roughly every five catches. A lot of the plays that I left out on the field was a lot of contested passes, which could have been, you know, 50-50 balls. And so the one thing that I decided to get back to working on was just being able to work on some of those contested catches that I used to do back in the day. Okay, women's U-17 World Cup. Now, Canada's already qualified for the knockout stage. They were taking on Spain, who's also qualified for the knockout stage. And this was lopsided for the Spanish. Salma Perriuelo in the ninth minute. Irene Lopez had two goals for Spain. Delightful from Lopez. It was delightful. One more. Even Navarro. Canada's going to have to be better than this because their uh, next game in the knockout stage will be against Germany. 5-0 the final for the Spanish. Should mention Didier Drogba, who uh, finished his career in the USL, has finished his career. Done. He has retired. I think he is 40 years old. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Whistler Blackcomb opens tomorrow. Grouse and Cypress have yet to set opening dates, and Sasquatch opens on December 13th. Revelstoke opens December 1st. Fernie and Manning Park open later this month, while Whitewater opens December 7th. Big White opens tomorrow. Silver Star will open on Saturday, and Sun Peaks currently has a base of 66 centimeters. Kicking Horse and Mount Washington both open December 7th and Powder King opens on Friday. Coming up on ET Canada, the aftermath of the Pusha T brawl in Toronto, plus the tenors are coming to your town for the holidays. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, thank you very much, Sangeeta. Finally tonight, this ain't no half-baked idea, perhaps a solution to one of the most stubborn problems in our society's growing battle with food waste. A Vancouver Island brewery has found a use for discarded bread, an idea that's definitely worth toasting. <laughs> so this is our rye cycle. 
Any craft beer maker will tell you there's a lot that goes into getting the perfect pint. Fresh hopped IPA. But here at Small Block Brewing Company, besides the hops, barley, yeast and water, there's now another ingredient in the mix. I don't think any of us really knew how it was going to turn out. The secret is simple. Bread. And it gets added into here. Uh, mixed with hot water. Then the process continues. It's boiled, seasoned, and cooled before it's fermented and ready to serve. There you are. Well, it's just got this little subtle taste to it that I that's interesting. It's it's nice, and it's the whole idea of just bread that otherwise would be go to waste. Up to 50% of what ends up in the landfill is food. And bread, with its tendency to go stale quickly, is one of the top contributors. As part of its food recovery project, the Cowichan Green community came up with the idea. It began gathering unused bread, taking it from bakeries to brewery. You know, we get to broadcast the message of, of food waste to the community while also, you know, providing a really great product, like a, like a beer. And soon, there will be another on tap. Which is the nut brown ale, uh, made predominantly with sourdough bread, but other kinds of bread as well. If it becomes a trend with other craft brewers giving it a try, even better. It can only be described as a win-win situation. Less food in the waste stream is a good thing. Good beer is, is also a good thing. Well, cheers to that. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Duncan. He was in the right place at the right time today. I know a lot of dudes who would like to unhook that hose that the beer's running through and just <laughs> one of these for straight, a couple of minutes. Just take it straight there. up, yeah. Straight Good idea. In. All right, feeling a lot more like uh, Lower Mainland Fall. Yes, absolutely. Well. Uh, final look at your five-day forecast. Uh, tomorrow morning, it's a chance of showers, but by the afternoon, it'll be heavier rainfall. Uh, we are going to see very windy conditions uh, through the day tomorrow, especially along the island for the northern and western section. So be prepared and quite unsettled for the weekend, too. Thank you, Yvonne. I feel like there was a chance of sunshine at one point. A little glimmer. Sunday, maybe. Oh. Glimmer has been yanked from the <laughs> forecast. Thanks for watching. It's been a slice. Oh, no. <laughs>